0: solemn edition of the Let's Run.com track talk podcast, because the myth of Elliot Kipchoge has been buried in the side of the streets of Boston before we even got to mile 20. Yes, that's right, folks. Boston Marathon, the 2023 Boston Marathon is in the books, and Elliot Kipchoge is not your winner, just as I promised you years ago on this podcast. Evans Chibet and Helen O'Berry are your champions. Emma Bates ran amazingly. Like a boss. We'll break down the hundred twenty-seventh Boston Marathon from all angles. We've also got some track results to discuss as the Collegians are getting back into it and the pros are getting started. Britton Wilson broke Autang Moe's NSA four hundred meter record and almost beaten Sydney almost beat Sydney McLaughlin's four hundred hurdle record Plus there's a sprint beef between the Olympic and world one hundred meter champions Fred Curley and Marcel Jacobs. That's got us excited. Plus, Cooper Tears opened up his 2023 outdoor season with a 334 down of his teammate Grant Fisher in California. Lex Young ran 339. Will Young, 339. Lex Young, 1344. Plus, Nikki Hiltz has run super fast and edged Michaela Rose. But should she have been DQ'd? All of that and more on today's show. This is. Former Cornell Men's Distance Coach and Let's Run.com co-founder Robert Johnson, joined as always by my genetic equal, Weldon, as well as a staff writer, Jonathan Galt. Guys, I saw you in person yesterday, but it's good to see you virtually yet again. Really, I said it's a little solemn, but I had a lot of fun yesterday watching the races with you. And shout out to Tom Deirdre, the author and coach who was sitting next to us, John, he made it a lot more enjoyable as well. Cause he has so much knowledge. He's written a book in the Boston marathon. If you haven't read it, go buy it people.
1: Yeah. Tom to and great, uh long time fixture of the running community in Boston with greater Boston track club. Always still out there running. He's got to be in his seventies at this point, but still gets out there and races. Robert, it was lovely to see you and Weldon over the weekend. It was great to see some of the members of the Let's Run.com Supporters Club on Friday night. We had a nice little turnout at Dylan's. Really enjoyed the gathering, talking track with people, talking marathon. But I I gotta address this thing. Do I have to call you the king of the hot take or the prisoner of the moment? Some of the things you've already said. You haven't been talking for more than a minute on this podcast. Well, Robert. You're already saying the myth of Elliot Kipchoge. What myth? He's he's the greatest marathoner ever. He lost in Boston. That doesn't change that. He's won 15 of 17 marathons. That's not a myth. He has more success this event than anyone in history. So that's one. Also, it wasn't buried on the side of the street in Boston. Mile 20 in Newton. You don't get to Boston until about mile 24. So that's another half-truth there. Exposed. And then the other, this idea that you deserve credit for saying he would never win the Boston Marathon. One, he has run one Boston Marathon. His career is not over. He has said today to the media in Boston he wants to come back, he wants to win the race. So when he's retired, then maybe you could take a victory lap if you hadn't actually predicted he would win on our podcast last week and bet money on him to do so. And even odds. So I'm sorry. You don't get to say I said he would never win. And then also bound him and predict him to win and claim that as some sort of victory.
0: As your boss, let me get this correct. Are you accusing me of saying of just basically making every correction that there is prediction that there is, like on tape, LA Kipchoge will win the Boston Marathon. LA Kipchoge won't win the Boston Marathon, and then I pull back whichever one does happen. Uh, I do f- I like to see both sides so I can see how my brain would be confused. But this reminds me of the SAT back in the day and Weldon and I were, you know, good students back in the day, but they always told you go with your gut instinct and my gut instinct, I think was that he was never going to win it. When the odds came out, the the, the the desire to make some money may have momentarily blinded me of going with my gut instinct. But when the odds change, I also put down a max bet on Evans Chabet. Thank you, Mr. Chibet. But, let's put this out there because I tried to find the original clip. It, it had to be more than a year ago when I made this prediction. It must have been when he signed up for Berlin or London or something not named New York or Boston. And it really upset me because I said, look, I already know he's the king of the rapid races. I want to see him run a different course. And I said, he'll never win that race and a pit. I would like to know my like what it sounded like. So anyone listening, some people have photographic memories. If you remember what podcast episode it was and tell us or find the clip. I will give you a free Supporters Club membership worth $100. If you're already a Supporters Club member, I will Venmo you $50 right away or give you uh, any two of the shirts that you want of your choice. We've got to get the tape to be accurate, John. I don't want to be accused of just doing things for ratings.
1: It is funny to me, though, because I kind of joke that you like taking these victory laps and patting yourself on the back, and now we can actually see exactly how much it is worth to you. Like, Robert will literally pay you money if you could dig up some tape of him making a prediction, which is correct through one Boston marathon, but it may eventually be disproven as well.
0: But uh, I'm, I'm really excited that Kipchoge at this press conference, by the way, Jonathan Galt was a little myth that he did not speak to the media yesterday, as was well Dan Shaughnessy of the Boston globe ripped him in the column for not showing up uh, to me. It was, it was an example of amateur hour. Uh, Like just by the World Marathon Majors, Boston, etc. Like you get, unless someone's injured and they're a big star, you get them to the press conference. Well, I mean,
1: I'm going to defend the BAA here. They tried to get him. They reached out. They wanted him to come, and I don't think they have it in their. I mean, I don't know what these contracts look like, but it also doesn't create a great impression if you're saying, "Hey, if you don't talk to this, we're going to take away some sort of." your appearance fee, and then other athletes, that word is going to get around. They're going to be like, hey, they yanked so Kipchoge's appearance fee. Like, you're pissing off the world's greatest marathoner. You might not get him back to your race just because you didn't speak to the press. I don't know. We kind of argued, like, yes, you put this in their contracts and it becomes standard, but this will be the first time I'm aware of someone being fined in this situation. I don't know. It's kind of a tricky situation all around, but the BAA made an effort to get Kipchoge to speak, and either he or his people decided... He wasn't going to talk until Tuesday. So that's kind of how it went down. Let's bring Weldon Johnson into the show. He's been forced to listen to me and Robert go on and on about this. We're going to talk more Kipchoge, obviously. But Weldon, did you enjoy Marathon Monday?
2: I enjoyed Marathon Monday. But the food poisoning last night after Marathon Monday? No, did not enjoy that. But doing better. Propping myself up here to do this podcast. For the record, we do have audio from Rojo in December saying Kipchoge is not, I said, you know, it's like years ago, I said Kipchoge is not going to win. So this audio could be a ways back or we want audio before December. In our yearly predictions, I said Kipchoge would not win Boston and he would win New York this year. We'll see if that happens. But John, let's start. Let's give everybody an update of what Kipchoge said today. Then we can analyze the race. I think it's more topical, the news today. There was a press conference at 10 a.m., and a lot of, as Robert said, a lot of journalists were critical of Kipchoge for skipping out last night. I think it's pretty simple. You just say, if if you don't show up at the post-race press conference, you will lose X amount of dollars, put it in the contract, whatever, barring you're in the medical tents or something. But anyway, he showed up today and made a point. Sounds like he was a little prickly, but he made a point of like, one, he said he didn't skip the press conference yesterday, but he's also like, I'm here to answer questions. I have more time for the athletes. So... For the journalist. So kudos to him today for trying to rectify the situation. I mean, that's one, point number one. And the point number two, the myth of Eli Kipchoge. John, there is a huge myth around Eli Kipchoge. And I think what we're reminded of is he's human. We glorify our sports stars, play him up. This guy had done the impossible in marathoning. win we consistently for 10 straight years. Everything thrown at him pretty much with one or two hiccups. No one does that. I mean, that is mythical. But we're reminded he's nearly 40 years old. Boston, you got to respect the course. And maybe in retrospect, it's not that shocking he lost.
0: I'll actually go with John here. If I re- re-tape the intro, I would not say myth. Maybe I'd say the, the aura of invincibility or something. Like, the guy's amazing. But I, I was really excited to see that he, well, first of all, At the press conference today, he said, "If you said I skipped the press conference, you're a liar." Should we? No, 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 no,
1: no. Let's. What exactly what he said was, "I did not actually refuse to talk to the media." Did you talk to me? Then who are those media? Who are those media, please? Then they are lying because a media member asked him why he didn't want to speak with the media, and Kipchoge claimed as if that wasn't the case
3: you didn't want to talk to the media until the race, what was your... No, I don't feeling? See. You are lying. Ask the right question. Yeah, with
0: sadness? I know, ask the right question. <laughs> yeah,
3: That's right <laughs> not the right question. Okay. I was not... I didn't... I didn't... I didn't uh, really refuse to, 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 to talk to the media. Did okay. you talk to me? No, no, no. So yes. uh, then, uh, uh, who, who are those uh, media? about uh, you? you yeah, who are those media, please?
2: Okay, then I'm lying. I'm free. That's why I'm asking all the questions. one 5 nine. Still question? questions? Any other questions?
1: So, I don't know if that means he never received this request. Maybe his management team got the request and didn't forward it to him, to, to him or something, but there was a request made to, for him to speak. He didn't show up, and now he's claiming he never refused to talk, even though the fact is he did not talk on Monday. We don't need to... Look, like, people want to hear about the race and everything, but it was very interesting to see because normally Kipchoge is calm, measured, wizened. This he got testy and prickly and was calling these people who say he refused to talk to the media a liar.
0: But then it's great because the BA press, press person tried to cut off the interview. She thought was, and then he said, no, I'm happy to talk to them. And he talked for an extra 10 minutes. So he did like 20 minutes and, and made everyone raise their hand, make sure everyone had been spoken to. So amazing job of handling today because – I was saying when, when he was, fell back in the middle of the race, I'm like, I want to see how he handles this. Does he make excuses, etc.? cetera. He's always been so gracious and so great as a, but it's easy to be gracious and great when you're a winner. How do you handle adversity? So for, for me, for him to, for, and then from, a, so it sounds like he did a good job today. Not a so good job yesterday, but we don't know who to blame for yesterday. But from a athletic standpoint, The fact that he said he wants to come back to Boston and win the race was amazing for me. If he actually comes back to Boston next year, I'll be extremely surprised, but I will have the utmost respect for him and will never criticize him again for anything because what what I said was this guy's unbeatable in rabbited flat races. I mean, I know he's lost a, a, one or two, but basically, that's why it was getting boring for me. I, I know that he can do that. Can he run a hilly race? And the answer yesterday, at least when it's raining and the wind's blowing in your face and you're trying to lead the whole thing, is no. But does that mean he's permanently like, like if he views this now as a challenge and comes back, even though that could put his Olympic team je- spot on the in jeopardy? All the more power to him, because I think it would send a powerful message. We cannot be afraid to fail in life. Impossible is nothing. Or that's Adidas. Possible is nothing is Adidas. What does he say?
1: No human is limited.
0: No human is limited. Like I just think it would be a great life lesson. Like this is what I want to do. I've won Wimbledon ten times. I've won the U.S. Open ten times, etc. I need to win the French Open. I need to win Boston. You know, this is this is what he needs. Like he needs a win in Boston. And or new york to complete his legacy which is almost perfect except for this and you wrote in the preview article like never has someone who's done so much had so much at stake on like thursday or friday and i was like really well, what's at stake but now that he's lost i see what you were you were meaning by that like you know the question remains can he challenge can he win something like boston
1: yeah. I don't know if he'll show up next year. He didn't say for sure next year, but he said he wants to come back, so maybe it means twenty twenty five. I first of all, I'm giving him props just showing up this year. Uh he could have very easily just blown off Boston forever. He knows he could have gone to Berlin and New York and sorry, Berlin and London, where he always wins and always makes a ton of money and he runs really fast times and he knows he's good at it. He already won the Olympics twice. He retires. People say, Oh, he never won you know, he never tested himself in Boston, but you know, he he would still have this unassailable legacy as the best of all time. He just never ran on a specific kind of course. So the fact that he even lined up in Boston and ran the race on Monday, uh, he gets a lot of credit for that. That's something running fans wanted to see. He gave it a shot. He got beat. And that's okay, but he at least gave it a try. I'd like to see him come back as well, but he already gets prop respect for me for even taking it on in the first place. What I think is interesting to discuss, though, is how he lost. Because he made a big point. Well, at least when I spoke to him, I wanted to know, is he going to approach Boston differently than these other marathons? Is he going both in terms of his training and the race itself? And the answer was absolutely not. He trained the same training. He didn't stress a lot of uphills or downhills. I mean, he runs hills in training, but you talk to anyone who prepares for Boston, they will say, yeah, we really worked on what practicing running downhills, learning how that feels, really callousing your quads to that pounding because there's a lot of downhills in the opening half before you get into the uphills, and then downhills again from heartbreak hills to the finish. He didn't do any of that hill-specific training. He just did the same program that he always does. That's one. Number two, in terms of the race itself... He didn't run this like he ran his previous two unrabbited races, which were the Olympics in 2016 and 2021. He went out to the front, and he was acting like this was London or Berlin minus the pacemakers. He was at the very front. He was pushing the pace. He didn't care at all that there was a small headwind. He made sure he was the guy dictating everything here. But this time, he didn't have any paces to block the wind for him. And... He goes out really fast on that opening downhill. And it seemed to me that that came back to bite him. He said he was talking about some upper left leg injury around 30K, which is where Gier made the move and where Kipcho got dropped. That's in the middle of the Newton Hills. Well, guess what? Guess what happens when you go out of control downhill over the first 5K in Boston? Your quads get sore and it comes back to bite you in the hills in Newton. He said he didn't think it was related. He just said he didn't know where it came from. But my suspicion is this injury or this issue he was dealing with could have been related with him going out too fast and not having that experience of pounding on the downhills. So I don't know. He tried to, the way I see it, he trusted that, hey, I'm the best ever. This is the approach that wins me every single marathon, basically, I've ever been in. I can't really argue about that. I mean, he has such a high level of success, but in the end, I think he should have prepared a little bit more specifically and had a little bit more respect for the Boston course and he might have had a better outcome.
0: I disagree with some of that. I don't think the pace was too fast. It wasn't fast for him. 14-17 with a massive downhill is not fast. So the issue for me... Like, we had some trouble getting from the airport, Logan, to the press sense. It was in an Uber when the race started. And I looked down, and I, I just immediately see him, like, acting like the rabbit. And I thought, did this guy learn anything from the two breaking two attempts that he did? One successfully? Like, the whole thing there was, they wrote, like, 5,000-word magazine pieces on the guy that invented the right formation to block the wind. And that was when it's basically held in still conditions. Now he's running into a headwind, and he's leading the whole thing. It was just stupid. Like, he said he didn't change anything. He did change anything. He's never served as the unofficial rabbit for a race, you know. And when you're doing that, you're giving up a lot of time. I mean, I think, look at it. Breaking two, he ran 159.40 with a rabbit the whole way. When he runs the world record without a rabbit the whole way, he runs 201.09. So he had the rabbit for basically halfway. So a rabbit is worth two minutes and he's, he's good, but he's not really two minutes better than everybody else in the world. He's run 201.09 and guess what? There was two guys in this race, including one who ended up winning it, who'd run 203 flat. He's almost two minutes in the world better than everyone else. So when he was leading John, we I was just like, wow, this is okay. He probably doesn't feel the win, but I knew it had to be there. like. The weather report doesn't lie. And I thought around 15 miles, I'm like, okay, if he actually does this, this is just beast mode. Like this is just him, you know, we we talked about him, maybe not wanting the pace to be slow. So it's not a sudden burst, but I was like, you don't need to do it from the front. And CJ Albertson, the American said, I thought that Augustine Choge was in the race to rabbit him. He's got a teammate who didn't do anything. Like he's like, I just, I didn't, I was shocked to see him up there pushing the pace. And C.J. Albertson said, when I was in the lead pack, the thing that I noticed was Evan Chebet was tucked away in the back. He was being Kipchoge in the sub two. If Kipchoge wants to rabbit him, go ahead. And Chebet's English isn't good, but through a translator, he said, I didn't want to show off and show that I could win the race. He's just biting his time, biting his time, biting his time. And we saw that. What do we see in the women's race? Helen O'Berry won Boston and she bombed New York. What happened in New York? She was up front. She was pushing a lot, etc. cetera, and she won it. Now, I'm sure there's some people that are Kipchoge fans saying, Rojo, you're making too much of this. Because in the past, when the rabbits have dropped off in, the, in these rabbit races, he does just push, 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 push. You know? I mean, there's been a number of guys that have made it 30K. k guy Adoli made it with him. And then, you know, even 22, 23, he's there and he finally breaks them. But I just think doing it for 26.2 miles, when it's cold and windy in your face, easy to say now in hindsight.
1: I think there are a couple differences this time. In that one, like you said, he didn't have the pacemakers like he does in most of these races, and two, you know, when the, sorry, when that's happening, and two, there was a headwind. So you combine those two factors, it's going to cost more. And especially when there's no pacemakers, I mean, that's mental energy too. That's you know, you got to be focused if he really wants to leave every lead every step, and that's that's his mindset basically, is he wants to be at the front at, at all times, then that's a lot of things to worry about when someone cups up on your shoulder, if there's one little mini move in there or something, and you're always, always responding, whereas someone like Chibet is just hanging back, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's fine, it's fine, just wake me up when we get to the hills, essentially. Um, but Kipchoge, like, I asked him today, the press availability, you know, do you think the headwind had an impact? Do you regret leading so much? And he said... What do you think when you see me at the front and everyone else at the back? I think it's common sense. This is sport and you need to push. Sport is pushing yourself and actually enjoying it. He sees himself as a front runner. He, At this point, he's been in the front so many times in all these different races. That is how he runs. That's how he views himself as an athlete. And he couldn't change that mindset for Boston. and It doesn't seem like he's willing to coming back. And I think that would be a mistake. I think... Next time out, he might need to be a little bit more cautious. And I'm curious, if he does ever return to Boston, will he prepare any differently? Will he race any differently? Do, from It's been one day, and he says, doesn't seem like it, but maybe with some time to reflect on it, he says, oh, maybe, maybe I do need to change one thing up. It, you know, Maybe Boston is a different race than all these other ones I've won, and I need to prepare a little differently.
0: And one thing that should be pointed out in terms of the pacing – is everyone, all of the other top competitors, they were running the same damn pace as Kipchoge. And really, they weren't all breaking the wind.
1: No, and I think that's also part of it, is we can all sort of put together all these reasons and speculate as to why he lost and could these strategic tweaks have happened, have made a difference. But we don't, we don't know. I mean, Evans Chibent has been in fantastic shape the last couple of years. He's run 203 flat, like you said, Robert. In Valencia in 2020, maybe he's in 202 shape now, and he's also more suited to run this course. He probably practices a little bit more specifically for it. He's more experienced here, and he's won now three races in a row. There were some fantastic, fantastic guys in this field. So, even if Kipchoge is maybe a little fitter, that that wind that breaking the wind might have been the difference, or maybe Kipchoge, Chebet were about the same shape, and maybe that's why Chebet won. I mean. There are so many different things you can sort of point at, but I, I think you've got to give credit to the athletes who did run well. I mean, 205 54 in Boston, third fastest winning time ever. Really impressive running. Into a headwind.
0: Well, super impressive. I, like I, I don't think that leading and this and that, I mean, Kip Kipchoge to fall off that much that early. So I, I think you know, it's it's a little hard to know exactly what went wrong, but you know, someone said, Father, time waits on for no one in the message board. And I responded to that and got the following post, got 53 up votes and one down vote. I said, Look, Kipchoge is not suddenly old and out of shape. He set the world record in his last race, number one. Number two, he led the entire race in the wind. Number three, it's hilly. And the fourth thing we haven't talked about, potential reason for the loss, is the last marathon he lost was in similar conditions rainy and pretty cold. I think um, 2020 London, it was like. 48 degrees in rain he has won races in the rain in the past 2016 olympics but that was in the 70s in 2017 berlin was a little bit warmer that was like 55 degrees so
1: i mean it was 52 in boston it wasn't really that much different i don't know
0: it seemed pretty chilly to me and cj albertson said it was cold when it started raining i just we saw everybody shut down when it got cold when yuki Kauichi and Des linda went. it wasn't like that but i'm just throwing that out there like when i saw the weather being similar to what it was when London, it made me a little bit nervous. And then there's one other thing that I don't even know, but I just, I saw this on the message board and there was actually a thread in the race when it was happening live. I didn't understand what they said. They said, wow, there's an amazing commercial for Adidas right now on TV. And they meant the actual race broadcast. Now, Adidas sponsors the Boston Marathon. So they like to send a lot of their pros there. For some reason, it's an ego thing for the shoe companies to win their marathons. They sponsor but the men's side, they went one, two, three. All Adidas sponsored athletes, and I thought, is it somehow possible that the Adidas Super Shoe is better than the Nike shoe, particularly in the rain?
1: It could be. They have this continental tire grip. Uh, that's the, what they use for the sole, essentially, and they're pretty proud of it. I mean, we have we've seen Nike athletes win in the rain as well. Bridget Coats guy crushed everyone in London, twenty twenty, but. Maybe that's something to do with it. I, I just want to say, this is a hard race to win. It's supposed to be hard. Boston isn't like these other majors. It is unique. And Kipchoge, we were debating ideal strategy before the race, and I was wondering, actually, does it make sense for him to push it a little bit harder? Because then he doesn't have to contend with Benson Kipruto or Evans Chibet crushing the final 5K like they did the last two years. And Chibet, his... 35K to 40K split was 14.55. It was a full minute slower than it was last year. So in that respect, it did actually work. Kipchoge just wasn't there to hang around. But it's, it's difficult. Like You actually have to come up with strategy and make decisions as the race goes on and adapt to the weather, which is unpredictable. And those are all things Kipchoge is not really used to doing in these marathons. Most of the time, it's just good enough for him to show up as the fittest guy in the start line and he can just kind of pick, okay, I'm going to hang behind the rabbits until they get to here, and then I'm just going to keep up this pace and no one's going to go with me. This time, he had to do a little bit more thinking and couldn't quite adjust, but it's a lesson and he'll learn from it.
0: Uh, I see what you're saying, John, but he, the, the, the Olympics, he's been maestro. So I don't think the thinking is a problem for him. But well, let's talk about some of these other you know, p- performances out there. Evans Chibet. I mean, how good is he? He's won Boston, New York, and Boston in a row. He's won two or three flat.
1: Six of his lost seven marathons uh, wins. And then, yeah, like you said, that includes three straight majors and Valencia in 2020, which was a stacked field. I'll put it to you guys. Who's the best marathoner in the world right now?
2: That's easy, John. Shabbat. It's, it's easy. It's an easy decision for you. I guess Kipchogas's won six of seven. Yes, that's how it works. If you race at and you lose. And the other guy has a comparable record. I guess he hasn't run the world record, but six of seven big wins. Oh wait, I thought that was impossible. We just said that's not possible essentially. So to me, it's Chebet. If they raced again, I'd be fascinated. If they had raced in London
1: this week instead of Boston on Monday, who do you
2: think wins? Kipchoge. I mean, I still think you bet Kipchoge before the race. Now that he lost, it changes the, the the calculus a bit. I mean, Kipchoge. In hindsight, right? It's very easy that Kipchoge took a very big risk going to Boston. It's the most unique of the majors. It's more unique than New York. Would you guys agree? The course, it's harder to win, or it's different. More, I think it is the most. It prevents presents
1: the most challenges of any majors. I think New York is not that much easier.
0: Well, look, it's m- m- more, the course is much more variable because there's a lot of downhill at the beginning, then up, and then down. But the, the big variable in, the, in Boston that you don't get as much in New York is the weather. It could be literally 90 degrees in Boston. It was 90 degrees like two days before. It could be f- snowing, sleeting. There could be a massive... Headwind, there could be a tiny headwind like there was yesterday. Whereas John made a great point today. If only they'd run the damn race today. There's a perfect all-day west-southwest tailwind of like 15, 16 miles an hour. 30, gust to 33. They probably would have broken too. I'm dead serious. If Kipchoge goes out there and sets that pace, we might have seen a, 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 a sub-two. Because what Chebet did was amazing. I mean, 205... What was the actual time, John? five fifty-four. Okay. So, you know, we thought the win, John Kellogg, thought it was going to be two minutes. So that's a 2.03-something in still conditions. Well, if you give him a tailwind, uh, I'm not sure if it's going to be quite sub two, but it would be close. But it's interesting because the other big names did come through. Chibat wins. The other 2.03 flat guy gets second. And then Benson Capruto, who's won in the past, gets third.
2: Yeah, but all those guys have done well in Boston in the past. That's the one thing that's different from them. And I say Evans Shabetz the best marathon in the world. Well, I mean, two of those wins are Boston. So maybe he's just really good at these unique courses. He might get smoked on a pancake flat race versus yeah. Kipchoge. Well, he but. ran 203
1: flat in Valencia in 2020. I don't think... But here's the thing. It's difficult, well, like you said, because it's kind of like clay court and grass court in tennis. There are different types of marathons that play to different people's strengths. And because you're only running one or two a year, I mean, Chibet, he wins three straight of these technical hilly marathons. Now we're like, oh, can you do it on the flat course? Same thing with Kachogi, He wins on flat courses. We say, can we do it on the hilly course? Like, it's very hard to prove yourself as the clear number one overall when it's all these different kinds of courses and you're only racing infrequently i think yes if i had to pick the world's best marathoner right now i would say Chibet. his recent resume is amazing and he just beat kipchoge head to head but it's not easy and that doesn't mean that they couldn't both show up in berlin this fall and kipchoge would lay the smack down that could very well happen it's you know you're only as good as you like the marathon things can change so quickly because we get so few data
0: points but Boston's—it's—it's it's just so much fun. Like, we've got to stop these rabbit races. Chicago, Berlin, London—they're all the same. Pancake flat boring. I know the mass person wants to get a PR run a flat course, and everyone, the world's obsessed with time. But since we're never going to have it, like, since Kipchoge's one fifty nine forty is so far out there, like, I don't know. Now I guess maybe we're going to have people trying to break the two flat legitimately. But I mean, I, I'm really biased because I'm sitting next to Tom Durden, who literally wrote a book on the Boston Marathon. But he he you know, he's what, 20 or 30 years older than us. He's talking about, you know, like we were just scuttlebutting, like, how to make the sport more popular? How, how do you sell this to the public? He was talking about team stuff. I'm like, oh, we've tried all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. He was saying, like, we could have teams, and the prize money goes into the teams. But, you know, he, obviously he's biased towards Boston, but I'm like, this race is just so much more, there's so, he, he, he used the same analogy that I use. There's no fumbles, there's no interceptions in running. There's no fluke goals. But, boston does put out those things like the headwind the tailwind the rain and it just makes it more unpredictable which is more fun if only the race could figure out a way to broadcast it the race broadcast i i I would like to apologize on behalf of anyone who had to watch the espn broadcast because they had it on in the mix zone and i was just thinking like we had four screens so they had all four screens and they would go back and forth between the international feed. So when the ESPN broadcast would go to commercial, they go to the national feed, but I could tell when they went to commercial. And I was like, Oh my God. And I would, I would get on the message board. I apologize to all his PM viewers. They just dropped Kipchoge and now they're going to commercial.
2: Like, and well, oh. Robert, one of our favorite voicemailers, I mean, one of our favorite, the favorite voicemailer. Let's not, and thus fake Alberto calls back the fake Josh Kerr called in Robert talking about this very issue.
3: Hi, boys. It's the fake Josh Kerr here. Just finished watching the Boston Marathon using my NordVPN. Thanks for hooking me up with the discount, boys. It was great. But they, we know it wasn't great, the coverage of that race. I mean, come on. Wheelchair racing. It's not really a race, is it? And then there, <clears throat> Evans Chibet and Gay <clears throat> leave behind Kipruo. Uh, So then we've got to go and watch two minutes of Kipchoge and listen to them wanking on about him. And then they go back. Cabrillo's caught him back up. He's back in the race. Right. And then Evans Chibet crosses the line. And what does that clown who's announcing the race say? It's a shocking victory. The man won the bloody race last year. Like, do your research. And if you did your research, you would know that Helena Beery's coach's name isn't he? Ritsenhausen. Come on. Rojo, let me know. Who have I got email so that Let's Run can take over coverage for next year? Because that was shocking. All right, boys. Talk soon. Cheers.
1: Another great message from the fake Josh Kerr. Thank you. And I I haven't seen the broadcast back yet. If Nathan Ritzenheim was referred to as Ritzenhausen, I mean, that is almost unforgivable. I, well, I, how could you prepare for the race and not know that?
0: And how about them saying... I don't know how this is possible that Elliot Kipchoge had dropped out of the race. They, they said, we're not sure, but we've been told he's been dropped out of the race. Meanwhile, I look up at the screen that's in the mix zone and there's Kipchoge. There's a camera dedicated just to Elliot Kipchoge. So I don't understand how, if this is a professional setup and it's supposed to be a professional setup that they wouldn't have all those feeds in front of them as well. And I don't know. Like, I, I know that they're trying, and I, I used to wonder, like, is the guy in charge a running person? Apparently, someone told me that, that he has a tight script and he sticks to it. They need to get rid of the wheelchair racing. How many times have I said that? No offense. It's inspiring to see the athletes overcoming injury or, or being born that way. It is, but we don't need it every week. One race a fall, have a super marathon. It's not a marathon. You know, he did it. The guy Marcel Hoog won. Is that who won, John? They're like, what race, what, what's the next race? Well, I'm running London next week. It's not a marathon. If you can do a back-to-back weeks, it's not a marathon. The average miles per hour for him is 22 miles an hour. It's more like cycling. I don't need to watch a cycling race in the middle of my marathon racing. So if you don't want to be accused of, like, able-bodiedness or whatever it's called, I forgot, ableism. Ableism. You, you just have a super wheelchair race once a year, one of the majors maybe, and broadcast that. And – or just tape delay it and put it on at the end when you're doing the mass races. No one needs to see it live. It no, it's, it's very simple.
1: Broadcast. You add a two minute clip at some point in the broadcast, just saying, and here's the recap of the wheelchair race. And it's, here's Marcel Hug winning. It's here's Rosanna Scaroni winning. And that's it. I was talking, I was sitting next to a reporter for a major national publication covering this race. And he just was incredulous at how much attention they gave the wheelchair race. And, he echoed what we say. It's that like people do not write about this sport. They not It does not have the fan base that running has. And running doesn't have an overwhelmingly large fan base, but it's certainly magnitudes larger, the wheelchair racing. There is no demand for this, and yet it is shoved down our throat. So, but,
0: well, John, now you feel how a lot of conservatives feel about a lot of things in the world. I know you're liberal, but that, that reporter, I guarantee, won't say that publicly because he'd probably be fired given his job. So, but he, I'm glad to hear, hear that he, or she, I don't want to out him, because there aren't that many, there aren't that many reporters there from a major, 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 major newspaper. But glad that he feels that way.
2: Publication, Robert, publication. Oh. Yeah. Okay. We can do the Americans at the end. Let's, let's wrap up Kipchoge here, and then get to the women's race. I'm harping on this point. Kipchoge took a, in, retro, in hindsight, a big chance going to Boston. Now he's talking about coming back. No way. There's no way he comes back next spring. If he has the balls to come back next spring, because that could really jeopardize his Olympic chances. That's the, that's their last race before the Olympics. Now, maybe if he runs well in the fall and they can get him announced on the Olympic team, then Boston's a, uh, you know, a free swing, free roll. Go for it. But otherwise, I don't think it's happening. Oh, you guys-
1: I'm not even sure it would be a free roll, though. I guess maybe it's different because it's Kipchoge, but... Do you remember Mary Katani? 2015, she won New York City Marathon. She's been the marathoner of the decade to this point. 2016, she has a bad day at the London Marathon. She finishes ninth. They leave her off the Kenyan Olympic team. And then she goes to New York that year and wins by like three minutes or something like that. This is Athletics Kenya. We, we never know exactly what they're thinking. Here.
0: But had they announced her to the team, John?
1: No, they had not.
0: Well, yeah. So they, announced- they didn't pick up
1: team until after the spring majors.
0: We should we should share with the viewers, listeners, the rumor that we heard that was Kipchoge will not be going to New York, that he may be going to Sydney. And
1: right, well, Sydney is pushing for World Marathon Major membership, and apparently they're making a big push to try to sign Kipchoge. Is like, are they going to get him? We don't know.
0: But I I really hope not. If he if Kipchoge goes to Sydney, it's. W- What would that do for me? Nothing, I guess. If he ran a decent time, I think okay, you can put him on the Olympic team. But
1: no, the only way that sounds like a
0: money grab to me.
1: Yes, the only way that's acceptable is if they actually shell out money to have some decent competition face him. But you know, if you're getting, if you're trying to promote the race he's the guy that moves the needle. You say you've got Kipchoge, you don't need anyone else to get the attention. But if you're serious about joining the majors and you actually want to like, put together great elite fields, yeah, if they, look, if, he gets, if they get Kipchoge and they get Evans Chabet and they get some other stars to go race in Sydney, I don't really mind. If all the guys are, all the top athletes are running against each other and they broadcast it, I'm fine with that. They do that in Valencia and we're fans of Valencia. I'm for getting competitive fields and getting the best athletes racing against each other. But if he's just going down there for a, a payday or to help promote Sydney, that's not good for the sport.
2: You know what we need, John, for the World Marathon Majors? What? Relegation and promotion. Oh! Keep these damn races honest. should be five races max. We drop one out. If, you, if you're not up to snuff, you get one gets dropped every year.
0: Well, I'm fine, John, to the, you know, as long as you get a good field. Because I'd be fine with him going to Valencia. It's a race he's never done. I know it's flat, but... It's a competitive field. He's not ducking anybody if he goes there. But the, the problem with all this stuff is you know, they want to be a major. There's only so many truly elite runners in the world to go around. So that's what I've said. Again, I have the to to of the Diamond League by having that be the world championships in the off year. And then for the marathon majors, if we're going to go to 10 or 12, then you just run a single sex. It would make the event broadcast much, much better. That's another thing Tom Deere and I were talking about. He's like, I've been complaining about this since 83, 84. It's basically impossible to broadcast – two sporting events live at the same time. So that's one thing that producers are, are dealing with. They said they're trying to make it even more impossible by broadcasting four sporting events of, at one time, including two that no one cares about. So, you know, you, you, if you go, if you expand the majors and you just have, okay, this is the Boston men's race this year. And next year is going to be the women's race. The, 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 it's an amateur race for everybody else.
1: All right, let's talk about this women's race. We'll, we'll go to Americans at the end, well, then, but I, I want to talk about Helen Beery because – she was phenomenal. We saw some of these workouts. I mean, I gushed about this crazy twenty-five mile, I don't even know if you want to call it a tempo. She ran at a 225 marathon pace on March 28th. And I'm thinking, I'm like, is she is that too much for her? Like is she was running all these hard sessions. Is she gonna have anything left in her legs for the marathon? Yes, yeah, she had plenty left for Boston, and she did everything right this time. I mean, New York it was very much a learning experience for her in her build-up, uh, talking about coach jathan rissenheim they didn't get quite as much volume the length of the build up wasn't quite as long for this one even though Rittenhouse, john this one they weren't like officially preparing for boston you know since the start of the year he'd kind of been like secretly training her as a marathoner even though she's running half marathons and then she ends up (laughs) deciding a month out she's less than a month out she's going to run it but the build up was better she was taking her fluids in the race. She stayed patient, and then cl- at the end, I was like, there's no doubt she's winning this race to me. I just got flashbacks to watching her in the track and how strong she was, and I know we say if you're a track athlete, doesn't necessarily mean you can kick in a marathon, but I'm looking at her next to Amane Bariso and Abel Yeshina. I'm just like, come on. is going to take this, right? And she did. It, it was terrific run by her. Another huge... On Athletics Club. I mean, I know we've kind of seemed like we're one athletics club apologists on this show, but
0: D- don't go bold in a mind to this, John. This is all you. This is all you. Well,
1: I- I'm just saying, this team they formed in 2020 and now they've got Yard Nagoose running out of his mind, American record in the mile this winter. And now they've got the New York, sorry, the Boston Marathon champion, one of the biggest prizes in the entire sport. I mean, you got to give him props for that. Obviously, O'Beary is the one who went out there and ru- won it, but on his invested in the sport and it's paying off with some big time uh, performances.
2: John, speaking of on, I was talking to Steve DeCoker. He's like, I don't know. He's like the on running guru. Sorry, Steve. I don't know titles here.
1: Well, he's like the head of sports marketing. He controls the. He's like the what John Capriotti was at Nike. He is at. Uh, Uh, I don't.
2: He's right. The mind behind this group. I think he hired Ritz and Hein, picked the athletes, that sort of stuff. I mean, obviously Ritz has input now, but he did a fabulous job with them. He deserves a lot of props. But I was talking to him afterwards, and I knew Aubrey was going to win the same time he did at 40k. When she grabs the water bottle, I'm just like, oh, this thing's over. Because talking to her beforehand, we're like, what'd you learn from your first marathon? She's like, never lead. I'm like, that really wasn't the. That's not what I would have taken away. She's like. I took the lead too soon. It's hard in the marathon to lead. And you couldn't see her a lot of the time in the broadcast. I'm like, where's O'Berry? And she's like hidden in the pack. And then she's also like, I didn't drink anything after 5K. I needed to drink fluids. And she worked on that. So when she took a bottle at 40K, one, like, it's not going to, I don't, some physiologists can prove me wrong. There's no way that does anything. There's no way that can hit hit you in the next six minutes running. But the mindset of she's just like, oh, it's important to get water. Like, she's just like cruising at that point. And the other thing, I evaluate, look at this race, very similar to the men's race. Kipchoge took a huge chance in running Boston. It's obvious now, and it didn't work out. O'Berry did the same, and she smashed it out of the park. If Robert's shaking his head. if O'Berry bombs in this race? One month ago, Robert, she wasn't doing this race, in her mind. I think Ritz was hoping to her, hoping she would. But they finally sat her down, and she's like, you need to decide. She's like, okay, I'll take a week. And he's like, no, no, decide tonight. Text me your answer. It has to be your decision. And she said, I'm doing it. But if she bombs in this one, she's then bombed in New York and whatever, fifth place she was, John, in New York, Seventh place. Sixth, I believe. Split the difference. And then New York, I mean, Boston with all the hills and crap, it could have been disaster. And then she might be afraid of the marathon. One of the greatest track and cross-country runners ever, a world champion at both. She might then think like, wow, I'm just not made for this marathon. And I think that could have affected the rest of her career. But now it's like, look out. We have a new star. We have a new coach, Ritzenhausen. And (laughs) a new name. I mean, it's great that Nathan's living his authentic self these days.
0: I was shaking my head because I think the person who took a big risk from this one was Ritz. And when John gives the fanboy all the love to Ritz, I just get, it bothers me a little bit because, yeah, I'm jealous. I don't like the coaches younger than me. I feel like if the shoe companies gave me and John Kellogg a blank checkbook and I could steal the top runners in the world from other groups, I'm pretty sure I could do damn well. But Ritz has done an exceptional job. like, I didn't expect Joe Klecker to be as good as he is. And... The, the there was a big risk by putting a barrier in this at the last minute because he doesn't have credibility with Helen O'Berry. He's got credibility with all the Americans and all the track runners. She moves over here. She bombs this race. He says you need to do it and she does, and she doesn't do it. Then she may doubt him. And it, it's hard to get credit. Credibility is important, but she totally has it. And but this isn't that shocking, really. If you think about it, she's like, oh, it sounds like she, I really like being in America. And she basically just said you can listen to the video, but she basically sounds like it's just a professional setup. I've always said that if you've got an African who's not in a professional setup, huge talent, or it doesn't matter Africa. You get one of the world's greatest talents who's not in a full-time professional setup with Masseuses and blah blah blah, and you put them in that setup, they're gonna run better. In Kenya, she wasn't in one of these training groups. Ricky Sims, her agent, I mean he did a great job. He coached her two world titles in the track, but he was coaching her remotely. She's like, Yeah, here the coach watches me run every day. And I guess, well, I guess you know, Pete Julian, some of these coaches in America coach remotely too, but I just think it's Like it's motivating to have your coach on a bike next to you as you do the long run. And I just think I'm going to totally praise rich for this one because he did a brilliant job. They messed up for New York. They put so much pressure on her. They said, she's in amazing shape. I'm like, okay, if she's, you know, maybe she could break the world record. I'm like, if that's the case, then put her in a world record race, put her in a flat race, put her in a hilly race. I mean, maybe she's not great at Hills, although she won or house cross country. So she must be pretty damn good at Hills. But, I just think there was a lot of talk and pressure. And then she didn't hear. I think he was planning on her running a marathon all spring. Didn't tell her. And then says, hey, you're really fit. Do you want to do it? And she does it. He lowered the expectations. They, she ran like the veteran. Kipchoge ran like the idiot. And she's the champion. So amazing job for the OAC and Ritz, particularly Ritz here. Because I feel like he was at risk here more than she was. Now, one criticism here. Dude, Ritz. You didn't actually win the race. Helen won the race. So when she wins, you should not be hugging her more than her husband. That's all I got to say.
1: But <laughs> this is Robert's – all right, this is Robert's pet peeve is people who aren't the husband hugging athletes like in the finish area. I, I feel like this happened – wasn't this something happened a couple years ago There was when Des won, someone was hugging her a lot, and it was like Joan Benoit Samuelson, and then you were like, why are they hugging him, her – more than ryan linden or something like that i, I feel like well, this is not the hey, first time you've complained about this do you remember the specifics robert
0: josh cox and i are friends that oh josh cox. Him. that that don't, was, don't, it. That was don't it don't bad mouth my boy josh i've been talking to him a lot at these events recently i don't uh, unless someone proves a tape that i yelled at him i didn't say that to josh but in this case i was just like no because the coach it's really fun being a coach i always say what do rich people do they buy horses they buy sports teams but I don't know. Let the athletes shine there.
2: Well, I think it showed how important it was to him, right? Like, it should be... We need to listen to, like, the unstated rules of running. That should be one. The coach is not allowed to celebrate more than the husband. It's just kind of funny. But I, it was a big deal for him. And Robert, he would have been fine, though he still got, like, you know, arguably the number two miler in the world right now in his group, but...
1: I, all right. I want to praise Helen O'Berry, not just for the way she ran. This is one of the... Most incredible runners we've ever seen. Is she, like, the greatest distance runner ever? No. But look at the stuff she's done. You could make an argument she's the most versatile elite distance runner we've ever seen on the women's side.
0: Whoa, she whoa, has whoa, a- whoa, 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 whoa,
1: Look, Safan Hassan's in that conversation. Safan Hassan has yet to run a marathon. I'm saying, you know, Safan goes from 800 to the half, and I'm not saying you know, you can debate. Safan has won more titles than Helen O'Beary, I think. Certainly more than I mean, Safan has won two Olympics. She medaled in three events at one Olympics. That's one of the most insane performances in the history of distance running. So, look, I'm just saying, Helen O'Beary has a world championship medal in the 1500 and has won 357. She has a world indoor title at 3,000 meters. She has two world outdoor titles at 5,000 meters and two Olympic silvers at 5,000 meters. She has a world cross-country title on the toughest cross-country course a world cross-country has ever seen. One of the cr- toughest cross-country courses I've ever seen. She's run 64-22 in the half marathon, and now she's won the Boston Marathon. That is success in so many different arenas, so many different events, all by the same athlete. It's phenomenal. I mean, Robert, how many, how many athletes, male or female, can win a world championship medal in the 1500? and then win the Boston Marathon. It's crazy, crazy
0: range. She's got great range, but what she doesn't have is an Olympic gold medal. Halle gabber won the world indoor 1500-meter title. He won a hell of a lot of gold medals, and he set a marathon world record. Now, my my complaint about Hailey would be, was...
1: He never won World Cross. Helen O'Beary won World Cross.
0: Well, yeah, but he also had to run World Cross when everybody in the world showed up to do it. Paul Turgott was rolling it in every year. I mean, I mean O'Beary me-
1: beat someone called G'day in the race that she ran.
0: This made me think that, imagine if, I mean, I know uh, Hailey did run New York at the end of his career, but he he didn't want to do World Cross because he knew he wouldn't beat Turgot. And they didn't want to run New York and Boston. He just kept going back to Dubai every year and Berlin every year. It bored the hell out of me before I was bored the hell out of Kipchoge's excellence. So Paul Turgot, by the way, did win World Cross and set a world record in the marathon and win New York. I just kind of feel like if we had real legit courses all the time, there's some chance that that dude could have been the greatest of all time. I guess he wouldn't have the world records. It's hard to be. just. We've never had the perfect runner who can win everything from 1,500 through marathon, set world records in the process, and then also run on the grass and the hills and cross
1: country. Misa is pretty close to that, Robert.
0: Yeah, but he didn't have, his flaw is he didn't have the de- – well, I don't know if it's the dedication or maybe it's the injury of the health. I don't know what you want to say, but he's just – the consistency is not there. I mean, he's had a long career. Don't, don't get me wrong, but
1: – Well, he was a machine from, like, 03 through 09, and then intermittent success after that, but he still had some plenty of highs. But yeah, it, look, it's really hard to be the best. I guess I'm not saying Helen O'Beary is the most versatile distance runner ever. I'm saying you've got to throw her name in that conversation now because of the range of her accomplishments. I, I don't think you could look at any one person and say they've done every single thing that Helen O'Beary has done in the sport.
0: All right, so she wins at 221.38. Imani Barisha, the two twenty one thirty eight. Amani Brees of the two fourteen woman is second, two twenty one fifty. We're in a Salpacher from Israel, 221.57. Ababel Yeshana, who used to have the half marathon world record, 222 flat. Emma Bates, unreal performance, 222.10. Before I get to Bates, Bariso repeatedly in the press conference said, if it hadn't been, she like she was really fit. She said, if it hadn't been raining, I would have run way faster. So she didn't like the rain. We'll see what she can do. But I think this was a performance that showed you. I mean, I don't know how a 214 marathon for a woman could be a fluke, but I still think this was a a nice performance for her. It shows that like, okay, that wasn't a fluke. She's going to be playing the marathon, you know, moving forward. But to be honest, and and this is the part that I really apologize for the ESPN viewers. By the way, I got to pat myself on the back. I've been telling these majors to start the men before the women for years. And they finally started doing it because the men run faster. If the women had started 10 minutes before, they would have been run down by the men in this race. So the gap's getting bigger, but the U S visitors didn't get to see much of this women's race. I don't think, I mean, Kipchoge, they weren't doing a good job on the split screen. They were doing a like long wheelchair winners with Hannah. What's her name Not Hannah storm, but Sage steel, Sage steel. And then not doing the split screen. And then they you know, the men's race ends, but they want to show Kipchoge. Then they don't show this put screen very often. And then the women's race is going. On. I'm like, Emma Bates, Tom Duren and I are like, Emma Bates is leading the Boston Marathon at like mile 23, and she's smiling. Like, Tom, the whole time was like, just kept talking to me. He's like, look at Emma Bates. Look at, I mean, he must have said that to me 20 damn times. Like, she, he's not only was she running incredible, but she was having so much fun doing it. She was blowing kisses to her friends at mile six, smiling at mile 21, 23. It was unreal. She was so confident on Friday. Like you had talked to Bossart, or coach beforehand. I almost didn't go over there. I'm like, we should talk to one of the top Americans. And she just laid on the line. She's like, I think I'm in American record shape. I probably could do that if I was on a flat course. Because I didn't pick her for the Olympic team. We made the Olympic predictions two years, two two or three weeks ago. Because I'm like, she's a 23 girl. You gotta be under her two twenty. And she's like, I'm ready to go. And boy, did she back that up. And Coach Boss Hart's like, yeah, I was really confident in her fitness, but I was surprised that she told you that because that's what the OAC people and them did about her beer and it backfired. It didn't backfire here. And it was just an amazing, great story. This is a woman who won an NCAA title in 2014 or 2015. I forgot what year was. And then last year in college, it's like terrible. Goes pro, signs with the BAA High Performance Group, which is not a top group. Moves to Boston, runs terrible. Doesn't even break like 16 minutes and 33 minutes. Her dad dies. She hates Boston, moves out to Idaho, is married, gets divorced.
1: Living off the grid in Idaho, like no electricity in her house.
0: And her running career was off the grid too, for a while there. And somehow talent doesn't go away. But even she said, when I was in Boston, I never thought that this would be possible to be at not just uh, like fifth in the Boston marathon. We, we've seen Americans do better than this. Well, Des did win. Win. I love you, Des, but the weather really won that year. This might have been the best performance I've seen in the professional era by a U.S. woman in Boston. Like, flat out. I know. she'll well, win Wait, what about Dez? I
1: mean, Des got second in two twenty two and twenty eleven.
0: Well, okay, you want to talk about Des and second? She wasn't racing the best women in the world. Des got second in, in twenty twenty. What year was that, John? Twenty eleven. And the winner of the race was Karen Kill. I mean, no offense, she was a great marathoner, but she never broke 222 in her life. The third placer, Sharon Cherup, also never broke 222 in her life. Now, Sharon Cherup did get World Championship bronze that year in the marathon. I'm not saying these are bad marathoners, but this race had... More firepower. I guess she finished farther back, there's more firepower. I just was extremely impressed by her.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, look at the results and look at the people she was behind. She was 10 seconds behind Abel Yeshina, who was four, second last year, has run 64 and a half. She was 13 seconds behind Lona Salpada, who has run 217, who has won Tokyo, who is World Championship medalist. And she was 20 seconds behind Amani Barisa, who's a 214 woman. So... She was mixing it up and right there with some of the best in the world. Uh, she just missed Shalane Flanagan's American course record of 222.02. Bates obviously has the super shoes and Shalane did not. I looked back and I was like, damn, Shalane Flanagan Shalane Flanagan was freaking good, man. 222.02 without the super shoes in Boston. Granted, Bates did have a headwind in this race, but yeah. And she also, she negative split this thing, right, Robert? Because they went out a little bit slower. It was, she went seventy one thirty for the first half and then 74-D for her second half. So it was a little bit of a negative split for Bates. But yeah, no, no, fantastic, fantastic run for her. And yeah, if we got to, if we had to repick our teams, I think I picked Mark ahead of her. It's going to be a great trials because Bates, I think now, you know, she wants to go and run fast and try to break the American record this fall. But we know she can do great in a championship-style race now. She was 7th at Wells, now 5th at Boston. Seeing her, seeing Sisson, D'Amato, Tolima. I mean, Tolima didn't run all that bad. She was 11th in two twenty-four thirty-seven. 37 She was... Well, you talked to her afterwards. She seemed kind of torn between how to process it between... She got 11th and got smoked by Emma Bates, which wasn't what she was hoping for, but she also ran a PR and 224 on Boston.
2: Yeah. Afterwards, she's like, it was PB. She's like, well, maybe I should have gone with the group. And she, cause she knew Emma was up there. And she's like, that one mile, if I just kind of toughed it out. And then people told her, they're like, no, it was three miles, essentially 510 or better. She's like, oh, well, I couldn't do that. <laughs> like, that would have done me in. So, and Emma fell back at that part. I don't know how far back she was, but she, she let them go a little bit and then caught back up. And that was a shocking thing to me, John, because you're at 30K. You're just going up the hills, 35K. And the fact the pack was so big shows these women weren't really all out hammering it. There was like eight people still, you know, then seven, six, whatever. 40K to make it that far. I mean, maybe in retrospect, we shouldn't be shocked. Well, wait, Base didn't
1: make it 40K in the front. Almost. How many K? Almost 40K, yeah. She had dropped a little by that point.
2: And so, I don't know. I was like, Robert, I just was like, is this the best performance, you know, apps on an absolute level by a woman in Boston? And maybe that's not fair with super shoes, but it was into a tailwind. And just, but you don't expect Emma Bates to compete with that firepower. And they could say, okay, she got destroyed the last 2K when they took off. But I'm still super impressed. I mean, she ran 224 and she's a former podcast guest. We had her on after Chicago. This just shows how we maybe need to have the relegation promotion. She ran 224 in Chicago and got second one time on a pancake flat course. You know, she's a better man on it now, clearly. Granted, that was the COVID year, right?
1: Yeah, that was, it wasn't a weak feel. It, sorry, it wasn't a strong feel and it was a hot day. So, yeah.
0: Look. I mean, I'm sure I don't. I don't know what Joan Benoit's best performance on this course was, but in the pro, that's why I said the modern pro era. She, I mean, she
1: broke a world record at the time. It was, you know,
0: but she, I looked it up. April twenty first, two thousand fourteen. Shalane Flanagan. I mean, the wind was nine miles per hour out of the southwest. So that's a that's a crosswind, but kind of a, a pushing wind helping you. So I, I think the wind here hurt her by more than what the super shoes helped. And the, this was a better run than what Flanagan did, in my opinion. So I, I just. Flanagan was a great runner I don't know she just never I guess she did win New York but I never saw her enjoying a marathon like this to me the marathon seemed like a struggle for Chalene all the time
1: well Chalene was a very serious athlete and Bates is not I mean Bates is great but she's not quite as you know just kill or be killed out there and I think that's part of what made Chalene great she was just total badass when she raced but I I think it is fun when you see these athletes at front enjoying it like One of the the things I feel like we always ask these athletes, the Americans who spend any time near the front, like, what was it like to lead the Boston Marathon? This is the most famous marathon in the world, one of the most famous sporting events in this country. And to be an American and to be up front and with all the crowds cheering for you, a lot of the time, you know, the crowds in Boston, relatively knowledgeable. A lot of them will know this is an American out there and you get cheered for, you know, people be like che- Mance said a lot of people were cheering for him. I guess you have the bibs on the name too, so maybe they can just know your name because of that. But, it's a really cool feeling. Very few people get to experience leading the Boston Marathon. And, yeah. Enjoy it. You should enjoy it. I mean, you know, it's hard to focus for 26.2 miles an hour. There is nothing wrong with for a couple of moments taking just a second to appreciate what's going on.
0: Now coach boss said, you know, people say, did you plan on leading? She's like, no, my coach told me not to, but at mile 20, he said, Hey, just, you know, basically go have fun, do what you can do. But he had some interesting comments in the sense of, he's like, she likes to run on her own. She doesn't like to run. She doesn't, she just likes to be free and run. And I told her like part of the maturity process of an athlete is to learn how to run in the pack, you know, and just let the pack do the work for you until it's time to strike. So it'll be interesting to see what happens at the trials if she runs, you know, that type of thing.
2: Do You see how John threw that in there? Boston, the most famous marathon in the world. Just stated it as fact.
1: Well, it's interesting because I read the Boston, like, I think that to myself, but I'm also from Boston. And then I read the Boston Globe and I guess they're biased too, but they're like, yes, this is the world's most storied road race. So the most famous world race in the road. As running... I mean, you guys are in the running community, American running community. Okay, if it's not the most famous, what is? Do you do? Do you disagree with that statement? Well, then,
2: in the U.S., you could argue New York or London. You could. Do
1: you? If if I asked you what's the most famous marathon in the world, what would you say?
2: I think I had been partial to New York recently, but Boston—the tradition, even just as a media—you go at the same place. It's so convenient. I was looking at the Acela schedule. They might make it easier. The first Acela gets into Boston at 10 a.m. Like the train drops right there. Like everyone should go watch this thing. Takes you to the finish. It's just the history. Not everyone has
1: the media pass to the Fairmont Copley Plaza. Well, then you got to stake. I saw people staking out the turn onto Boylston. It was like 845. I was walking to the media center and there were already people there. At that turn, people weren't going to be showing up for three hours. Robert, I'll put it to you. Most famous marathon in the world. What's your answer?
0: It's like a biased question because for the last 10 years of my life, when I've really been focused on let's run, I've been focused on what's the best marathon in the world. And that was clearly London for the pros. Most famous probably be Boston, but if they sit on their laurels, I won't care about the race and I won't care pretty quickly in terms of the elite field. And I was wondering Was this a blowout? This is the final year of the John Hancock sponsorship because the fields were incredible. The depth was unreal. And I'm just like, maybe this is the last year and they just said, screw it, we're just going to spend a lot of money on it. Let's see what happens next year when Chicago comes in at Bank of America because the Chicago fields have been terrible. uh, Terrible is a little bit too far of a word, but they have not been great in recent years, a a lot of recent years. So Chicago is kind of where Boston was for a while there, not doing so hot. Let's see what happens. Because it can change quickly. If you're not supporting the top talent, they're not going to show up. And they're going to go somewhere else. But my biggest yeah. winners of, of the weekend.
1: Uh, wait, wait. wait before, Robert, Robert, before you get into the winners, I just want to say, all listeners, especially international listeners, I want you to answer that question. Jonathan Run. at letsrun.com. What is the most famous marathon in the world?
2: No, voicemails. We need voicemails. 1-844-LET'S-RUN.
1: Oh, my God. We,
0: we, half of us don't check the
1: voicemails. But, yes, I want that answer. I want to be set straight. And
0: Well, the Olympic marathon is the most famous marathon in the world.
1: Okay. I I guess if you think it's the Olympics, you can put that. But if you think it's the Olympics, I also want your secondary answer. So please let me know. Robert, winners and losers.
0: Uh... I'm not sure in terms of order, but I had really four winners. O'Berry, obviously, I mean, mean, they won the race, O'Berry and Shabbat, but Emma Bates, I mean, just, I think of her differently now, completely differently. And then, then there's another name we haven't mentioned, and normally I'm not praising the 17th place finisher, who I didn't even see on the TV. I didn't even see her media day. Was she even there media day? Sarah Hall. She turned 40 the day before the race, her late career resurgent has been really just impressive. She's adopted three kids. It just sounds like a great person. Four kids. Excuse me. Apologize to the fourth. And for so long, she was like second fiddle to Ryan, her husband, and now she's the marathoner. But she's never run well in Boston. She doesn't do well in hills. She's been hurt a lot. She had the biggest injury of her career last year. And just to see, she ran 225. Forty-eight. I mean, normally that gets you in the top 10 for sure. This year it gets you 17th because the field was so so deep. So I just thought it was a really good run for her. And I don't think she's going to make the Olympic team. I've said that I don't think that, unfortunately, if you've been trying to make an Olympic team for 20 years and you've never made it, it would be cool if a Sarah Hall or a Kira D'Amato did make it, but I don't think that they are. And But I think this puts her back in the hunt. I know she's minutes behind Emma Bates, but three and a half minutes. Wait, wait, wait. She got beat by Nell
2: Rojas.
1: She beat Emma Bates at World. She was fifth in the World Championships last year, and now she's getting beat by Nell Rojas and smoked by Emma Bates in Boston, and that puts her back in the conversation? I'm struggling to follow your logic.
0: This isn't a course that's good for her. Like, it's just... I was afraid, with the injury and everything, she was going to fall off the face of the map. She's turning four, She turned forty the day before the race, and I just thought, why is she even running this race? And instead, she ran it and did great, and she put out some nice comments on Twitter. When I signed up for Boston, I couldn't even run. I couldn't fathom fathom slamming down the hills. An IT band's nightmare. I did in faith. I could get ready. I didn't faith ready. The thing that I could get ready in time to learn the course for the future. I'm so glad I didn't miss this. And she said something yesterday. Really proud of that one. Fought every day to make it to the line and every mile out there. I kept believing even when everything went wrong. This build up, ran my race with joy. Had so much fun out there. It's just great to see someone, to get over the 15th or 17th place thing. And I know some people need the money. She doesn't obviously need the money. I, some of these other people do. But like say, that was a personal triumph. And normally I'm about the results and the winners and the losers. And I'm sure there's a lot of personal triumphs that we don't notice because they're not really a truly elite. But I just was inspired by that. As a, as someone who's all, about to turn 40 this summer, I was inspired by that. Well,
1: Robert, how don't, about don't, speaking of, of the whole don't family? Don't say my age on do not uh, say my age. On I've here, been Jonathan. threatened with uh, termination if i mentioning your true age. So I've learned my lesson. I'm not going. To. If men
0: can, if men, if men can win NCAA women's swimming titles, I can say whatever age. I, I can adopt a new age okay, every ten okay. years, or I can stay the same age every ten years. Let's put it that way.
1: Speaking of the whole family, how about Chad Hall, younger brother of Ryan Hall, 2006 Foot footlocker champion, 20th place in 21413. A couple other Americans I wanted to hit: Ben True, 23rd, 21606. Said his build-up hadn't been great. This this is his first marathon since New York in 2021. He's another guy who's been trying to make the Olympics for a long time. This didn't help his chances. But we haven't talked about the top American, Matt. So, top was Scott Farble, 7th place, 209.44. This is the third time he'd been the top American in Boston, the third, seventh place for him. Then Matt McDonald, Princeton alum, Robert, gets 10th place, 210.17. I kind of called him the blue-collar runner, even though he went to Princeton and, you know, he's got a contract with the BAA, but evidently it's not a massive contract because he's pursuing a postdoc at MIT. He works a full-time job. And Conor Mance, 11th place, 210-25. My question, my question to both of you is who are you more impressed by? Scott Farble, who was seventh, the top American for the second year in a row in 209.44, or Connor Mance, who ran up with the leaders into the second half of the race. He was on pace for 208. He he put himself in position to do something really special, was on 208.18 pace with two miles to go at 24 miles, and just totally fell apart, was blacking out, barely made it to the finish line at the end. Who are you more impressed by? The guy who actually got the seventh place result and finished the top American, or the guy who put himself in the mix with the leaders
2: for the longest time? Another easy question, John. So easy. Connor Mance. My stock of Connor Mance went up with this race. Nothing changed for Scott Fabble. This was a baller performance by Connor Mance. I've always said beforehand, you said, who's going to be the first American? And I said that's not the way to evaluate it. Who c- finishes across the finish line first? Comes across the finish line first. The marathon chicken happened. Connor made it twenty five miles, and the end of the race is twenty six point two. But I love this performance. Scott Scott Fable said, I couldn't go out like that. I'd just blow up tremendously. Well, Connor tried it. He blew up a mm, little bit or a decent amount. But I loved it.
0: Shout out to Eric Wessler our web guy. Who makes the website show up. Even when he was racing the Boston Marathon, he ran the last 2.2K faster than Connor Mance, right, Weldon?
2: No, I made that up. He actually was slower. Oh. <laughs> it was close, probably, you know. Eric, I love you. Here's something that Connor
1: Mance did, though. I think he made history in doing so. Is he the first American to ever at any point in any marathon be ahead of Elliot Kipchoge? I'm not counting kind of those Olympic marathons where all, they're all sort of in the same pack. I'm saying like, you know, serious part of the race, you actually get, he said he got, you know, he had a gap on Elliot Kipchoge and then Kipchoge came back and ran him down. But I think that's the first time any American has ever done that to the GOAT.
2: He said he passed him. I said, what do you do when you pass Elliot Kipchoge in the marathon? He said, I gave him one of these sort of waving his hand. Like, come on, man, you keep up. Like, that's sympathy.
0: He gave the sympathy, you know.
2: Waved Ellie Kipchoge, and he's like, soon after, I regretted it. Kipchoge's probably like, what the hell is this? Who's, brother, yeah, who's this
1: little kid? Yeah. Oh man. Little kid. You know, there's been a few oh, critical. Sorry. Com- I mean, yeah. Who's this little guy? I mean, Mance is on the smaller side, but not. Shouldn't have said little kid.
0: There's been a few critical, you know, comments of Kipchoge for not coming through the mix zone, but whatever. He deserves a lot of credit for just finishing. A lot of pros might have just stepped off. Guy made so much money. You only get paid if you make it 30K, whatever. So I was pleased that he did not drop out, even though ESPN reported that he did.
1: Now he can get a six star medal if he finishes New York.
0: I'm sure that's important for him. But <laughs> I like Weldon was super impressed by my man's because you know these guys went out in sixty two twenty. The other Americans went out in sixty four minutes, sixty three fifty nine. But also, perhaps the most impressed—I don't know—CJ Albertson. I know he likes to go out hard all the time in Boston, but this guy went out in sixty two twenty with them and just finished a few seconds behind Mans. Like based on their talent levels, people used to think of this guy as kind of a joke. Like he's leading. No, like I just was so impressed by him. I had a nice interview with him. You can see it on YouTube. This guy only ran thirteen fifty for five thousand in college. Just, he's like, yeah, I didn't think I could even run a half that fast. And I held on okay. He's like, he said he was actually kind of burned out coming into the training. Might take a break. I'm like, Well, you did he's like, plus it's just way more fun to lead. And that gets me to a quote that Tom Dearden, and we were talking about this with Scott Fauble. It changed nothing for me. He's a solid marathoner. He's never going to make an Olympic team. If his parents or him has listened to this, wait, I'm wait. sorry. Wait, wait, wait.
1: Scott Fobble's never going to make an Olympic team. This guy is as consistent as they come. He just beat all the Americans in Boston for the second year in a row. I just like, how can you say that with any certainty? You can pick, I, I don't know. I think that's an insult to this guy.
0: That's why I'm apologizing to him and his family if they're listening. But the people, they come to get the expertise. They get the, the cold, hard facts. Okay. Not the platitudes. You know, the, your famous reporter won't write the truth, won't say the truth. I will rojo rant so he's just it's kind of like craig ingles like his talent level just isn't as good as these other guys now you're gonna have mance on that team he's gonna sit in the pack he's gonna run smart and he's gonna blow these guys away foble's best hope is that Rupp gets hurt because that's another spot and then you would have one of these kenyan born guys taking the third spot who am i missing
1: i mean linda courier i'm guessing who beat foble at the lost trials i just think look Both of these guys, they will adjust their game plans and run different races at the Trials because Mance, in the Trials, he's not going to be going out and trying to run 206 or something. He's going to be relaxing a little bit more knowing it doesn't matter if I... you know, I I can't win plaudits by going and running some crazy time or winning the Boston Marathon in the Olympic Trials. The Olympic Trials, you just run to make the team. Same thing with Farble. He might well, actually, he, he might just hang back if he sees people going out crazy fast and run them down, but he runs really smart. Like, he doesn't go out in 62-19 because he knows he's just going to blow up, like we said. And you can give Mance... I think you can praise Mance for saying, hey, he went for it and he gave himself a chance to do special, do something special, but that doesn't mean you rip Scott Farble for not going out in 62-19. I know, I know that's not what you're doing, but I'm saying... I've seen other people say, oh, Farble, hanging back like he always does. You know how you know why should we be impressed by that it's like well because he's not he's not an idiot he knows he cut his body he knows he can't go out in sixty two nineteen and hang on and do anything so he's doing the best to maximize his result and there will come a day maybe for him where he's in better shape and he will take those risks but right now he knows where he's at and he's not gonna do that and I do think he'll be on the Olympic team next year because he's he's just so consistent in these races he's been the top american in boston three times now he's run 209 or faster three times on that course he had a bad marathon trials yeah but that was one of the two bad marathons he's run in his entire life so i don't know i I still like him to make the team and I, i like him just as much as i did coming into boston if not more
2: who's got more talent robert Scott Fobble or Jake Riley or a 43 year old Abdi Abdurrahman?
0: Okay, Fable's, if Riley made the team, Fobble could make the team.
2: But, of course, Robert will pick him on our on our Marathon Trials podcast. He'll pick Fobble to make the team and say,
0: I told you, I told you he'd you make the team. <laughs> well, if Rob's out, I mean, then I might have to read it. I, I was trying to find... John, you have the list somewhere. I, I can't, my computer is glitching up here. We were kind of talking about this yesterday during the race with Tom. I was talking about with Tom Durden, and he had two quotes. This, is, this guy's just a walking encyclopedia. You know, do you take the risk and blow up? And he quoted two all time American greats If I'm going to die, I want to die from the front, said Frank Shorter. That's what Kipchoge did yesterday, I guess. And the great Joe Benoit sandwiched according to Jordan, said, I'd rather burn out than rust.
1: Well, I'm. do I have to be worried that my job is going to be taken by Tom Darry? I mean, I've sat next to Robert Johnson at multiple major marathons, and he's never said what a great experience it was to watch the race with him before. So am I in danger? Is my career in danger here, Robert?
0: Well, John and I fight like I fight with Weldon. It's just like kind of annoying to be around, and it's kind of also almost like a spouse. Like you don't treat your spouse like you should. Like I, I'm more respectful to Tom. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Damn right, I'm not going near the, any trans or politics or anything. That I would, you know, with John, I'll just, I'll, be, I'll get bored during the race and go to Yahoo and, hey, John, did you see this crazy article? That
1: didn't happen, no. <laughs> come on, I'm gonna give you credit. Uh.
0: I, I like sitting next to
1: Robert in the race because he will tell me things. I'll, I'll give you praise, Robert. I like sitting next to you because you'll tell me things I don't learn from watching these broadcasts or these feeds. You'll be like, oh my god, they just ripped a 423. Or look at what happened. Ha- this person's totally blowing up. we would say this person split that pace and they're on this pace to run you know, they're running a crazy pace right now. You you give me the data and the stuff I want. I mean, this is why fake Josh Kerr. Could have a point. Robert notices this stuff, and it's stuff that makes you a smarter running fan.
0: Thank you, John. Now, no, I, I, I've – well, the 423 was good because I got on the message board before it even happened. Sean Harden has sent me this amazing topography map, and I was like, everyone, just remember, we're about to enter the 15th or 16th mile, whatever it is, and it's way, way, way downhill, so it's going to be way, way, way fast, and it was. And then i knew it like probably five minutes before they got to it on the broadcast but john no i've enjoyed races when you there's been big races i think it was even in tokyo but i know there's been a number of times like the biggest races of them all you know a lot of these events world championships olympics we're super busy we're watching on a screen in a basement to be honest but we have unlike a lot of people we have a let run policy if it's a huge huge race you have to see it in person so we're sorry whoever it doesn't matter
1: Sorry, Molly Huddle, after the 2015 Worlds when you got missed out on the medal, but we had to go up and watch Evan Jager run for gold that year.
0: Stuff like that, and I think it was in Tokyo. There was one big race, and I just wherever you were working in the thing, and I just came down and said, "Next year, why are you sitting here?" And I was like, "Because I want to watch the race with you." Because I feel like you know so much, and you just you get that's what sitting with Tommy, You just get the more information, the better. It makes it much more enjoyable experience and being a broadcaster would be hard because i i wouldn't if i'm doing the broadcast live i wouldn't have time but maybe they should just put us in the broadcast booth i mean they have statistics. statisticians like the other thing they kept saying was now the times don't count in boston but it's really important them baits hold on for the top five here because then she'll get the olympic standard and i'm like the moment they said that i'm like first of all i'm not worried about any american needing the olympic standard for the marathon because we're going to send three almost certainly but i get it you can maybe mention it but even if you don't know point number one, point number two is: doesn't she already have the standard? She ran two twenty-three worlds, and the fact of the matter is, yes, she does have the standard.
1: Wait, wait, wait! No, 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 I'm looking at the qualifying standards here, Robert. We were complaining about this yesterday. According to the Let's Run article, when these Olympic standards came out, the marathon qualifying window began November first, twenty twenty-second. Twenty, sorry, November first, twenty twenty-two, which is after the World Championship Marathon
0: last summer. Oh, I stand... Oh, wow. See? I would have blown the broadcast. I would have looked like a fool. I apologize to everybody on ESPN. Holden, can you delete those posts from the message board? They got like 50 upvotes and only two downvotes. No, we looked it up yesterday, though, John.
1: We didn't look it up. I I assumed when you told me that you knew what you were talking about, but I I should have actually
2: double-checked. All right. Well. Does he want me to delete this from the podcast? I mean okay we're talking about boston and unique
0: no but i well can i say one thing i would rather have a strong opinion and be wrong occasionally than to be like most people in the modern world and have no opinion that's what my great friend i mean almost said her first name instead of saying the former hillary clinton speechwriter because everyone uh
1: excuse me liberal former hillary clinton (laughs) speechwriter I'll because say her first name. I'll say, I'll
0: say her first name. My great friend, Victoria. She's like, that's why we get along so well. Because our opinions are often different. She's like, Robert, everyone I talk to, particularly in DC, they don't have opinions about anything because they're scared to have opinions. They've got to fit in and mold and be cowards. All right. Well, and I both need to be out of here in 13 minutes. Do we want to talk about some of the sprint action?
1: Wait, you both have to leave in 13
2: minutes? Well, real quickly, I wanted to talk about progress for the sexes in Boston. For a long time, we've had the Wellesley, what's it called, John? Mile? Scream Tunnel. Scream Tunnel. Scream Tunnel. And usually some male runners get kissed by the females there, and I'm wondering if that's something that's going to go by the wayside in this age. But Emma Bates said she got marathon proposals during the race. I said, Emma, what are people yelling at you? And she's like, go USA, Bates. And she's like, oh, I still got a couple marriage proposals. So... I think if the women can get marriage proposals, the guys can get kissed at Wellesley. I think that's a quality, you no? Who said the marriage proposals were from guys? I never said that, John.
1: All right. Yeah. Boston Marathon, that's our final thoughts. Maybe we'll have some more stuff as it trickles out. All our coverage is on the homepage. Check it out right now, including the Kipchoge post-race presser from Tuesday. Let's talk sprint action. So... I want to talk Men's 100 because this is the event of the year for me with all the star power in there. And one of the big storylines was Michael Norman, the reigning world champion of the 400 meters, moving down to tackle the 100. He wants the glory. And he had his first 100 of the year this weekend at Mount SAC. It did not go according to plan for Michael Norman. He was third in 10.02, a wind-aided 10.02, this 3.0 tailwind. And he got beat by someone named Cravant Charleston, who ran 9.87, 9.87 with a win that's pretty solid time. But Charleston, not a big name. Didn't even make the U.S. final last year. It's only April. I'm not going to overreact. I remember it before at Mount Sac, Michael Norman ran 43, 45, and I thought he's going to break the world record and do amazing things this year. And he's never run faster than that time. But not a great season opener for Michael Norman.
0: Yeah, when I saw this result, I thought, well, Fred Curley made it look easy coming down from the 400 to 100. Maybe it's not so easy. But I still think it's a good thing for Norman because he can try it this year if he's bored with the 400 and then come to his senses and go back to the 400. He's never even won an Olympic medal, right, in the 400?
1: Not in the individual event.
0: Go back next year to his, his real event. But it's fun to
1: see guys. He can run the 400 at Waltz this year. He's got the buy.
0: Yeah, so it's fun to see guys try new challenges, different things. It can be a grind. But when I saw Craven Charleston, this is a guy that ran for NC State, he's running on a track with guy I'm like, well, then we should just get the Let's Run singlet out there. I mean, shit, if I can have a guy run 97 for no money, all I got to do is send him a singlet? That's ridiculous. But Matthew Bowling was only 10-20, so I don't know. Eighth place, he looked terrible in this race. But the sprint thing I want to talk about, John, screw this, is the war that has erupted on this internet. And I really hope this happens.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm calling it right now. These two won't race. Well, I guess, yeah, Curly's not even, not. neither of them are Nike athletes anymore, so I was going to say... They'll run at the pre-classic, also the pre-classes in September. so they can't be forced to race by their contract. I don't th- I think we're going to get a 2015 situation where it's no Marcel Jacobs and Fred Curley aren't going to race to the world championships. Now who knows if they're going to be sort of the top two guys, but it's the reigning world champion and the reigning Olympic champion and the situation that happened is this: a few days ago, C- Fred Curley was on a podcast. They were asking him, what'd you think of Marcel Jacobs? He was a silver medalist at Euro Indoor's this year. And Curly wasn't too impressed.
0: Well, yeah, they were kind of like, would you think? you know?" He Admitting that he didn't do well.
1: Yeah, and he said, indoor is indoor. The real dogs come and play outdoor. And then they said, you know, is Jacobs, a, is he a real dog? And Curly said, I don't think so. I'm just going to be truthful. I mean, to me, that's an insult. This guy's the Olympic champion, and he beat Christian Coleman Indoor's last year in the 60. Was, he wasn't hurt last year. I think that's kind of a ridiculous statement. Jacobs catches wind of this and starts using dog terms on Instagram. He says, the lion doesn't turn around when a small dog barks. Easy run today so as not to scare small dogs. And then, really takes it up to another level and he posts a picture of the finish line at the 2021 Olympics in Tokyo. Jacobs beating Curly, who was the silver medalist. And he said, whenever you want and wherever you want, but remember that when it mattered more, it ended like this. I mean, that's kind of a mic drop right there. Curly sees that. He's not thrilled about it. He starts responding on Twitter. He says, make it happen. I want 1v1, no one else, just him. Him alone. And he's calling him out for ducking races. Remember, these guys were supposed to race four times last year. And Jacobs pulled out because of food poisoning and then injury. So they didn't end up racing at all. They haven't raced since Tokyo. But the reason why... I, it's exciting to see, but I also don't think it's going to happen because then the people are like, all right, let's put this together. Like everyone in the world wants to see this race. And then Curly says, talk to the agent. If you don't got six figures plus, we ain't talk. So he's expecting at least a $100,000 appearance fee to make this race happen. I just, is there a race that's going to shell out six figures plus for both of these guys in a hundred? I'm, I'm not sure that there is.
0: They should. And it's this is the opportunity of a lifetime. you tweeted out the Diamond League. The Diamond League should say, you know, hey, we have a lane, whatever. And then they say they have to be paid. Oh, I thought it was just mano a I want to see these guys race a match race. I love the Michael back in the day, young people. Michael Johnson, he was a two hundred Olympic champion. Donovan Bailey was a 100 million champion. They had a one on one race at one hundred and fifty meters. Paper. I don't know. It was on ABC. They got like five hundred thousand dollars. So I think the money could easily be out there. Shit, you could make it pay per view and and. Charge a little bit. I would also really like, and I think they can make a ton of money. I don't like MMA. I've never really, I don't think I've ever paid to watch MMA, but I would pay to watch these two guys go at it. People are like, oh, he'll kick your ass. I forgot what someone on the internet was saying that, oh, they said Curly would kick Jacob's ass in a fight. He's bigger, 6'3 versus 6'1. I would love to see that. Just, I, I would watch that. Just Wait, you'd watch an M-
1: you're saying you pay to watch them do an MMA fight against each other.
0: Yeah, people are watching this guy, Jake Paul, fight him. I would pay to watch that. I think they can make millions. Like, wouldn't if they get a big enough name?
1: They're not as big a name as Jake Paul. Not even close.
0: Yeah, but anyways, Curly Curly did disrespect him. Of course he's a big dog. He won the damn Olympics. And he can unless Fred Curly wins an Olympic gold medal or sets a world record, he will forever be apologizing to, to Marcel Jacobs. I, I love this. It's great for the sport. We need more of this. I would love to see the match race.
2: Yeah, I don't think John Ruiz. Really right. we're talking about them having an MMA fight between each other.
1: I don't want to see that. I don't want to get them injured for the world championships, but I would pay to watch a match race. Hell yeah. And honestly, maybe that's their best. I think Michael Johnson essentially on Twitter is like, I don't think the money's going to be there for both of you guys to get six figures for this kind of race. He's like, get your agents together, get them to sign a promoter and market this thing as a pay-per-view. And then one, you would get an actual idea of what the market is for this, and maybe you get a more realistic idea of your value. And two, this thing would actually happen, and we could hype the shit out of it, and then we can wash it. It'd be great. I they need to race before Worlds. I mean, it, okay, it's gonna be kind of cool if the enti- anticipation's building and they're both running well this summer. But no, it's, I want to see them run in May or run, run in May or June. Have a home and home, one in the U.S. and one in Italy, and then to be settled in Budapest. I am excited about this. Though. I think it's pretty exciting for the sport. But one,
2: neither one of these guys is that big of a name, right? I mean, I think they're. They well, they're the been reigning global
1: them. champions in the hundred. Like globals globally, no, but in track, yes, the huge in the huge names in track.
2: They're about as little known as you can be and be the Olympic and world champion in the hundred meters. That's probably fair. Yes. Having said that. I still think the most value probably is in them somehow if they organize a match race between themselves and pay per view it. The money to get 100 grand a pop, that's all they want. That's not that much. But uh, is that really going to happen? But the MMA thing would get way more re- viewing. <laughs> way more. Wait,
1: wait. You think an MMA fight between them would get more pay per views than a match race between them? Yes. That's interesting. I think it depends who's promoting it. But you might be right.
0: Well, you get the MMA promotion behind it, so you'd have all the MMA fans automatically. They wouldn't even care. You tell them that who's in it, and you yeah. get the MMA, and people would yeah. pay more. People are used to paying $50, $60, like a f- physical fight, but it would be amazing. But, John, you can talk. Without all to me, you'll have to talk about Britton Wilson and these other things, Cooper Tier. There's one result I wanted to mention before I'm out of here because I do have a hard pickup for my son at 530 today. There was an 808 at the Brian Clay Invitational. McKella Rose, who, again, I do play it both ways. I almost picked on the Olympic team a few weeks ago, thinking she was going to be the best collegian. But then I wimped out and picked the, I should have picked a bold pick. Instead, I went with like what I thought were the odds. You're right, John. It's more fun to go with the bold pick. I was like, maybe she's better than Rosine Willis and Juliet Whitaker of Stanford. She ran amazing. 159.08. She comes off the final turn. She's got a huge lead. It doesn't look like she's tying up that much second fastest time in college history, but she does get run down by Nikki Hiltz who was way back. It was a bad camera angle, but there's collision at the finish line. And I'm just like, wow, this is a great run for both of them. Huge PBs for both of them. Nikki had never broken too flat, but I'm like, should Nikki have been DQ'd for this big debate on the internet? You guys both said pre-show yes. From what I've seen, I would say yes. You can't just barge into somebody at the line. But I'm glad she wasn't disqualified because like, it doesn't matter who wins the Brian Clay Invitational. I'm glad the time gets to stand. But I also I need another angle. I need a front-on angle because Mikela Rose, if she moves out to the outside of lane one, then there's enough room for Nikki to come by. That's fine and then comes back down, no. That's not a DQ. If anything, it's a DQ on Rose for trying to pinch her. So if you you can't really tell from where the camera is if Rose drifted out. Some are saying she did drift out. If she didn't drift out, definite DQ. If she did drift out and tried to pinch back at all, no DQ.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on that. The camera angle is unorthodox. I'm not what we're used to seeing. But one of the advantages of lane one is if you play it right, you are able to block off anyone running from in between. We always say... You should never leave lane one. And if Rose didn't do that and Hilts comes by and beats her anyway because she fouls her, then, yeah, that's a DQ. But, yeah, I agree with your whole take, Robert. Keep the times intact. This isn't a championship. The placing is important. Also, great run by Michaela Rose. Only a thing Mo has ever gone faster in collegiate history outdoors on the women's side.
0: But the reason why I'm so high on her and think she's going to make the Olympics now is – this is a woman that was running the 400 hurdles. Did she get the silver medal or something at Pan Ams or World Big Juniors? Big and
1: World Juniors last year.
0: She ran the 1500 the next day. Did you guys see this? Guess her time. Weldon. 415.
1: Yeah, I was going to say 415 too. There's nothing Robert likes more than an 800 runner running a PB that's in a vacuum. Not that impressive for the 1500, but it's impressive when you factor in that like a speed-based runner. So it's probably 415. <laughs>
0: 411.98 411. 411. Oh.
1: Okay, that's really good for a for a 400 hurdle or 800 runner. Yes.
0: If you we used to be if you ran 410, you were like bonkers in the NCA. This year now we only have one person Well, there's one person under 410. Did this person just show up at Oregon. I don't even know who this person is. What's their oh, name? God. Is he Thornton? But
1: Oh she's no she's been on the team. She's been running for a while.
0: This is this this is bizarre for me. She ran the mile at the NC Indoor Championships. She ran four forty four and was ninth in the final. A week later, excuse me, six days later, she runs the ten thousand at the Oregon Preview in thirty five oh three. Then she flew to the Australian Championships and ran four oh eight. That's crazy. Anyways, NCAA 1500 meters. The People are just running so fast now, I and mean, there's already eight people under 413 this year. All right, you guys, rest of the podcast is on you. I'm out of here.
1: Okay, Weldon is sticking around. Robert had to go. couple other things to hit before we leave. One is Britton Wilson is having just a ridiculous year, the Arkansas sprinter. We saw her indoors. She ran the American and collegiate record forty nine forty eight in the four hundred. Last weekend in Florida, she went fifty three twenty three in the four hundred hurdles, just the number three on the all time NCAA list. Cindy McLaughlin LeVroni's NCAA record is fifty two seventy five. That could be gone by the end of the year. The day after that, she runs the open four hundred and runs forty nine fifty one. That breaks the thing most collegiate record, and. I was like, wow, it's a phenomenal performance. But then everyone is pointing out she actually ran faster indoors. The collegiate record for the women's 400 is somehow faster indoors than it is outdoors. Okay, it was at altitude, but that kind of blew my mind. Outdoors, she only ran 49.51 compared to 49.48 indoors. So I don't know if you had any reactions to that, Weldon, but Britton Wilson is having a star-making campaign in 2023 and could just be getting started.
2: I mean, they're good times, John, but she ran faster indoors. So, it's like, this is the level she's at. I mean, not that it was fluke, but hey, I think everything runs through the 400 hurdles these days. You got Sydney, A sentence
1: we never thought we'd be saying. For- Michaela,
2: Britton, like, if you are a 400-meter hurdler hurdle at one point, everybody's getting prepared, right? They were going to cancel that event, so they had to, like, branch out and get ready for other stuff. Yeah. So,
1: Uh, I wanted to shout out Bashir Abdi of Belgium. He won the Rotterdam Marathon for the second time in three years in 203.47. He is now the only European man to break 204 and he's done it twice. This time was 11 seconds off his European record from 2021, which he also ran in Rotterdam. I would say quietly been one of the best marathoners in the world last year, last few years. I don't know if you can say quietly considering he was the bronze medalist at the Olympics and worlds. I feel a bit like people don't talk about him quite as much because he has, doesn't have these big major wins, but he's running 203 multiple times now. He's pretty much always on the podium at some of these big time races. And I think just
2: deserves some props. Yeah, I mean, I'm not He's under the radar for sure.
1: Okay. Final thing. This is this is the more inter- most interesting result, I think, of this sequence, at least in terms of a distant perspective. Well, Maybe it's not the most interesting, but I want to talk about it. Cooper tier, 334 at the Brian Clay Invitational. And I, I'm surprised. I feel like I'm surprised but I shouldn't be because pros, U.S. pros don't usually run 334 in April except Coupetier did it this year, and he also did it, well, last year he did it on May 6th, but it was still pretty early in the season. But I watched this race, and I was just like, oh, wait, this is why Coupetier runs the 1500. Like, most Americans struggle to run this fast at any point in the season. You know, it's always a big problem for people hitting standards, that sort of thing. And Coupetier, who won this event at USA's last year, he goes out, he just runs sub-335 in his first time out. He beats a very strong field of collegians who are all, you know, probably in better shape most, or you would think they should be in better shape than him right now because they've been running indoors and coming off indoors. Flau Masardi, the NCAA 3K champ, he was second, 335-16. Then Joe Wascom, the NCAA outdoor champ, 335-86. Grant Fisher was sixth. 3.36, 85. He lost his shoe with about 2.50 to go. Surprised he even finished this race. I feel like you're risking it a little bit when you're running with only one shoe, especially you're kicking like that. But, uh, you know, you also look at that result and maybe you don't really write him off that much because 3.36 with one shoe in April, that's f- nothing to worry about by Grant Fisher. I, I want to talk about Tia here. I was just impressed he could run this fast this quick. Maybe I shouldn't. Sorry, this fast this early. Maybe I shouldn't, but I'm wondering. It's only one race, so we'll have more data to go on, but we all kind of assume, oh, he's going to move to the 5k. Jerry sounds like wants Jerry Schumacher wants to move him to the 5k eventually, but Tia wants to run the 1500, I think. And I do wonder, am I looking at this guy like we looked at Matthew Centrowitz coming out of college? Now, I'm not saying he's going to be have the 1500 career that Centro had, but I kind of thought of is oh, he's a 1500 guy in college who will eventually move up to the 5k because he might not have the foot speed in the 15, except he definitely did and he was one of the best 1500 guys of his era. Tia won an NCAA title in the 5k, so he had more 5k success, but he was also a really fast miler in college, and I'm just starting to think like, actually, maybe the smartest thing is just Cooper Tia sticks in the 1500, and as long as he keeps making teams and contending for US titles maybe that's his event. He is the reigning champion. I, don't know, I think we see. I, I think the way I think of here, Maybe I'm in a rush for him to move up, and we shouldn't be because he can actually consistently run fast. And guess what? That's actually what's important in the 1500 now. It's the way it's run at a global level.
2: The Centro analogy is a very good one because I'm I'm pretty sure I thought Centro would not be a good or Pretty sure he said that. Kept waiting for him to run up move up to the 5k i remember some guy at oregon i think some guy who works for runner space was like when he's in college like oh he'll be a 1500 meter runner and i'm like you idiot what do you know (laughs) oops um but john are you sure we're talking about the same thing because i was reading on the forums all week that cooper tier said his coach jerry schumacher is anti-racing and you're making it sound like you ran a race so are you sure they ran a race this weekend
1: they did he did say that he said jerry's basically anti-racing and I mean, Cooper ran a few races indoors this year. Grant Fisher went out to Europe to run indoor races. So I know we have kind of bashed Jerry and PTC for not racing as much in the past, but they sent Grant Fisher to Europe. How many other pros went to Europe to run fast this year? I know Yard and Goose, but not a lot of American distance runners went over that. So I'm going to refrain from doing too much of that right now.
2: Well, Brian Clay's about as close to an outdoor meet as you can get like a BU indoor controlled environment, right? Like perfect weather.
1: Yeah, yeah. of <laughs> a, it's a uh, more more time trial. But I- I'm just impressed when the pros who know they have to be peaking for July are able to go and beat really good collegians who have just kind of semi-peaked for March and are going to be peaking for June. So Great run for Cooper Tia.
2: He 100% should run the 15 this year in my book.
1: Yeah, I think, well, I mean, if he goes out and busts some crazy 5K, maybe I would change my mind, but right, yeah, if I had to say which event should he do right now, I think he should run the 15, I think he will run the 15, and I think he wants to run the 15, so I think it's going to be the 1500. All right, well then, a lot to talk about this week, but that's what happens when you have a crazy Boston Marathon. I mean, all these track results are coming in, and I'm like, wait, there's... Track going on. Like, I I thought the entire running world would shut down outside of Boston, but apparently they kept having these races and people running fast. So, that is our Boston Marathon episode. We didn't even have time to talk about another stacked marathon that is coming up on Sunday. That is the London Marathon. But that's what the Friday 15 is for, people. If you are not a subscriber, now's your chance. Let's slash subscribe. You get access to our podcast, you get a t shirt, you get all our articles. Even the ones behind the Let's Run.com subscriber paywall, they're all accessible to you. And we will do our blowout boots on the ground London Marathon preview show on Friday. I'll be there for the press conferences. I'll talk to Safan Hassan, to Mo Farah, Kelvin Kipton, Bridget guy, Perez-Jep Chirchia, Loaded, Loaded Fields. We'll have the full scoop and break that down for you on Friday ahead of the race on Sunday.
2: When do you get there, John?
1: I fly out Wednesday. I get there Thursday morning at about six thirty in the morning, and then the press conference is that afternoon. So, some hoping I can fit in some sleep at some point there, but it's, it's it should be fun. And of course, Sunday after the race, Brighton and Hove Albion versus Manchester United in the FA Cup semi final.
2: Now, John, like, what if there's some like weird weather event, and they have to postpone the marathon a few hours, and it's going to conflict with your soccer match?
1: Oh, geez. Uh, Let's just hope that doesn't happen well then. I mean, I have a professional... You you guys flew me out to cover the London Marathon. I think I'd have to cover the London Marathon. But uh, let's just say I I don't want that to happen.
2: But, hey, John, we've always said we want you to be a fan. You know, we want you to be a running fan. But if you're so passionate about another sport that you blow off the London Marathon because you have to get to the FA Cup semifinal, I think I might respect that. I mean, I'm not
1: overstating this by saying this is one of the biggest games in the history of Brighton Hove Albion we're playing Manchester United at Wembley for a shot at our first FA Cup final in 40 years the stakes couldn't be much higher so I will be working hard to finish that race recap on time and then booking it up to Wembley for the match
2: Crystal Palace we had an FA Cup final versus Manchester United
1: so did we we lost just like you guys did we uh, we at least took them to a replay so
2: We went up. You guys John. lost an extra time, right? Yeah, we took the lead and Alan Parju did the biggest thing of Don's. all time. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Dwight Gale missed the sitter, could have won it for him. Love you, Dwight. Still the best best football player in the championship.
1: All right, all right. everyone. Until Friday. Talk to you then.